0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Unboxing Fulfillment, the Modern B2C Fulfillment Podcast, where we discuss common fulfillment operations challenges and how to fix them. I'm your host, Harry Push, CEO of Amware Fulfillment, where scalable fulfillment is what we live and breathe every day. Our guest today is Wayne Chapman, CEO of the Stasi Group in the UK, where he is responsible for all aspects of operations. Stasi is Amware's parent company, and Wayne leads a team of over 500 associates working in seven high-volume fulfillment operations across the UK. Wayne, welcome. Thanks, Harry. Great to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. As am I. I think there's a lot we can cover here. On unboxing fulfillment, we typically talk about how to optimize processes inside the fulfillment warehouse. But today, we're going to switch it up a bit. We're going to talk about fulfilling online orders internationally and the logistics challenges associated with becoming a truly global brand. So Wayne, how was the process in life after the agreement for Brexit?
1: <laughs> the agreement for Brexit. I don't know if it was an agreement. Brexit still continues to be a challenge and an opportunity for us as a fulfillment business. So I think that we went into the great unknown. At the time, I said, this is going to be a challenge. But I said, you know, within five years, this will be forgotten about. Everyone will just be used to all of the new changes, processes, systems. And that's certainly not the case. I've been proved wrong. It's a lot better. And people are a lot more clearer now about what's required and possibly due to wider Economic impacts of COVID and the Ukraine war, there's still lots of work to do. But as a fulfillment operation, all we can do is just try and make sure that we get our clients' products to their customers as quickly and as efficiently as we can. But things are still changing. It's still tough out there. Yeah. So from that point of view, you know, we're still learning all of the time, but things are a lot clearer. But what I will say is our clients, unbelievably, are still having challenges. Even this morning, I had a client who came to me and said, Wayne, we're really struggling getting products into Ireland. Can you help us, please? This is 60 miles across the sea. This shouldn't be that difficult. This used to be just a direct distribution route for us. And now because of Brexit, it's very, very challenging and highly regulated. So yeah, it's not easy is the short answer, Jim. Let's talk a little bit about overcoming the big Atlantic,
0: the big distance between us. So for online brands that has a global customer base, what would be the trigger point where it starts to make sense to put inventory for a European company here in the States? And I can chat a little bit about what I've come across here in the States about customers looking to get over in Europe. What on the European side do you think is a trigger point? I'm sure it's probably very similar to what we see here.
1: Yeah, I think if you look at it, there's two key things. I look at it as service and cost. Depending on the type of product sector that you're looking at, our clients will have different views about whether they want to come directed into the UK. But I think that we look at it through a lens of service and cost, and it's that fine balance. We've got some clients that have come over and they've seen a significant service benefit, clearly. So rather than having to come over the Atlantic, you know, we're, we've changed. SLAs from five days or worst case scenario, sometimes 10 days from the States to a next day delivery service. So the UK's tiny, gym in, in comparison to the US, as you know, is the UK the same size as Florida or something like that? I don't know. I'll have to find that out. But we can basically get products anywhere in the UK the next day. So from a service benefit, Straight away, any client who wants to ship product direct from the UK into the UK, we can do that straight away day, anyway. So the service benefit is unquestionable. From a cost perspective, really what you're looking at is the products coming over freight, so inbound, and then the warehousing and the pick and pack cost and the distribution cost. I know that we can be significantly more cost effective from a pick and pack and distribution perspective. But what the client has to factor in is their warehousing costs, their pick and pack costs, and their their inbound costs as well. So I think we can help with that. We can suggest how they can minimize their costs in that regard. But really, you know, it's down to what plans that client has for the range. If a client has a very, very low SKU range, I've got no doubt that it makes sense to come and have a warehouse directly in the UK because the amount of space they'll take up in the warehouse is going to be significantly reduced. If it's a client with a high and skew range, then I've no doubt it's probably going to take more footprint in a warehouse, so what warehouse costs, a higher volume, higher transportation costs into the UK and so on. There's a couple of factors there, but if a client just thinks it through from a service and cost, it's complex but if we work it through together then there's a simple spreadsheet that a finance director could could work through and come to the right conclusions
0: thanks for that wayne what we're seeing is uniqueness if the product is somewhat unique and there's great demand and you think you're going to have a viable business overseas then you start to think about putting inventory over there to the points that you mentioned speed and get your product to customer much quicker When the inventory is local, as you say, in the UK, you can get anywhere next day. Here in the States, depending upon where you place your inventory, you can reach 90% of the U.S. population within two days ground, again, depending upon where you put that product. And cost is always a factor. You don't want to spend $40 for shipping on a Shipment that may have value of $20. That's not a good formula. That's generally the cost of shipping internationally. I mean, there are some consolidators today that can get that down a little bit more reasonable, $20, $25 for sub pound shipments, but you sacrifice service to doing that. So you're right. Uniqueness, skew, skew count. You know, one customer comes to mind for us. It was a company called H2O direct. They made a French company that made eco-friendly cleaning products, which was a big hit here in the States, thousands of SKUs, and they placed inventory in our Phoenix facility and it was a subscription service and it took off for the company and they did very, very well. So I think it's growing. I think the barriers to international placement are coming down. There's so many experts out there who can help with customs clearance, with arranging the travel overseas, with the port of entry to your points that you made before. So it's not as complex as it once was. And so I think a lot
1: of companies now starting to look at that. It's a globalized industry as well, isn't it, Harry? As well as considering which country you want to go into. Another example I have is that we have one client who moved to the UK and then we were talking to them about Australasia. They currently ship Australasia or used to ship Australasia from the east coast of America, we very quickly worked out it was more cost effective and a better service benefit to actually ship that from the UK. So their initial motive was to move into the UK, which is what we did very successfully. But then the added benefit was that then we actually took on their work for Australasia as well. So it was kind of like a double benefit for them. So they improved the service in both service and cost in UK and in Australasia as well. That was an added benefit. We hadn't even considered that. So that's something now that we also ask as well, is where else are you shipping to from the U.S.? Because it may be that we can actually get better rates and a better service level from the U.K. Okay, Uh,
0: that's interesting. So let's say a U.S.-based brand wants to expand into the U.K. or mainland Europe and is looking for a 3PL partner. What factors should they consider in making their
1: choice beyond good service, let's say, and a good price? Yeah, we call it the Barry Center. And what that is finding out where are their final customer locations. Get as close as you can to the customers because if you're making thousands of deliveries to your customers, naturally that's where your cheapest location is going to be. There's so many different factors. And so the port of entry is really important. And that's not only from a logistics perspective, but also from a finance perspective. I'm no finance or tax expert, but what we do find consistently is that Having a legal entity in a country can assist from a tax perspective. And tax can be incredibly burdensome, and it's different in different countries. So specialist advice is definitely needed. But if you take that port of entry equation, so if you take the UK, so the UK and Europe now, we need to consider... Separately, unfortunately, due to the joys of Brexit, we used to just take the UK and Europe together and look for one port of entry. But now you probably need to be looking at two ports of entry for the UK and Europe. So, if we were to take Europe as an example, the exercise we do is we'd look at where the end customer is going to be, probably where the port of entry is going to be, and then we look at the costing of that. And there's three very simple costs: there's there's running warehousing, there's the transportation there's the labor and then there's the warehousing as well. So once you take all of those factors into consideration, we find out where we consider it to be the Barry Centre for a client. Now that might be one warehouse for the whole of Europe, or it might be locations in every country in Europe, or it might be three locations. We work for one of the biggest toy manufacturers on the planet. And they have one warehouse in the UK that we distribute the UK from. They have one warehouse in Germany that pretty much they service Western Europe from. And they have one in Italy that they service Italy and kind of like the Southern Med from. And their port of entry is actually in the Netherlands. So it really does depend on the client and their range and their stock holding and service levels as to where we go. But it's a complex process, but it's one that with the right data and the right partnership with a client, we can work through. I know this isn't a sales podcast, but the advantage from a static perspective is that because we have warehouses now in every territory across Western Europe, It genuinely doesn't matter to us whether we do the business in Spain, Italy, Netherlands, France. It doesn't matter to us. We'll just make sure that we get the right solution for the clients. But the bigger picture generally is what to do with the UK, because that's kind of like just a different animal altogether. This episode is sponsored
0: by Amware Fulfillment. Amware is a third-party fulfillment company that provides pick,
1: pack, and ship services to established direct-to-consumer brands. With fulfillment centers in every region of the U.S., Amware supports one- to two-day ground delivery
0: to 95% of the country. In short, Amware takes care of everything after the click. Learn more at amwarefulfillment.com. You mentioned Stasi. Obviously, Stasi is an international company which for us here in the States is critical. We've come across many customers who want to start going overseas. And prior to becoming part of the Stasi Group at the end of February of this year, I would say our approach was who's out there, who are some of these local companies. But at the end of the day, we have a lot of local companies here too. We were one of them. Our expertise was just predominantly here in North America, if you would, Canada, U.S., some Mexico. And we really didn't have the savvy and then the nuance of what you just mentioned about being an international company, what's involved, understanding the minimus, minimums, thresholds, and duty payments. For us, it was very important to have credibility. A lot of our customers want to grow into Europe. They're American-based. They want to take advantage of the European market. And we struggled a little bit with that, and we couldn't answer questions like, what are the, the minimist thresholds and what do duty payments look like? And what about international e-commerce shipments? So can you chat a little bit about that? How companies need to factor that
1: in? Yeah. You mentioned the duty payments. That's so important. And it's something that the clients can historically have been caught out before when they've been with other providers. So really you can either give delivered duty unpaid, which just simplistically means the seller is responsible for ensuring the goods arrive safely to a destination, but then the buyer is responsible for the import duties. Now, that might be appropriate for a B2B perspective, but that's definitely not appropriate from a B2C point of view. And then by contrast, you've got delivered duty paid so that the seller covers all of the duties, import clearance, taxes, and so on. And bizarrely, we've had situations where we have had clients whereby they've come to us and gone, wow, we're in a mess here. Our customers are really upset with us because products arriving in X country and we're having to charge them taxes on it, which we didn't realize. So I think that the advantage of Stasi is that we've got a reach now and we've got knowledge in all countries. And we can speak to the group. We all talk very closely together all the time. So if we're having a certain issue in a certain country, we can talk with the CEO and work it through. I think the whole impact with Brexit, we're still having situations, Harry, whereby there might be a slightly different approach taken within different countries. Only a couple of weeks ago, we had an issue in Germany where a different region in Germany was dealing with something slightly differently to another region, which was bizarre. So straight away, I straightforwardly got on the case and sorted that out. But if you're trying to deal with that from America in a different time zone and with a different knowledge, then that's really, really tough. So I think that the approach we take is what we're not experts in every single area. And I mentioned the whole tax implication previously, but what we probably will do is we'll know experts in countries, we'll know experts in freight forwarding, we'll know experts in tax regulations that we can pass contact details on for. And yeah, just really try and I guess act as almost like a consultant to our clients, as well as just providing fulfillment. We can also advise them on other areas of the supply chain as well. We had an issue last week in the UK, where we had a trading standards officer knock on our door. A trading standards officer, I don't know the equivalent in America, but this is a powerful government organization who can stop you selling product. Now, clearly, complaints had been made about a client's product. We were able to support that client by providing them advice with a consultant that we knew. There was no issues at all with the product. It was absolutely fine, but we were just able to respond in the appropriate way, which could get the local government officer nice and calm and realize that, that they had a registered person dealing with it in country who had a registered address office address. So I think that that's the advantage of dealing with an international business is we just have tentacles in all of the different countries. But yeah, to cover off international distribution in 30 minutes, Harry, is a tough task. Clearly it is. I've been in logistics when we were using fax machines
0: and vacuum tubes to ship messages between the office and the warehouse. Up till the year 2000, nobody really thought about globalization. In fact, here in the States, the mantra for many large international companies was to pick the best regional provider here in the United States. So if you break the United States up into Northeast, Southeast, Central, and West, many companies came to market with the approach, let's find the best 3PL provider, service provider, in each region and work with them and so they were geared to work with multiple providers they didn't mind managing those relationships getting invoices from different companies and working that way Nobody thought globalization back then. And then after 2000, those same large companies started to say, at least domestically, it's kind of cumbersome working with three or four companies here in the States. We really want to work with one who can provide us with seamless service, seamless billing, seamless views into our inventory and into our order fulfillment. And then after the 2000s, 2010, it started to become an international thing. Hey, you guys are great here in the States. What can you do for us in Europe? so for a company like Amware that we were just domestically based here doing a great job, we're starting to get a lot of pressure as to we want to be international. And I'll be honest with you, we've lost A few companies, not because of service, but because we couldn't get the international piece down. The 3M, which is a global organization based out of Minnesota, who had been with Amware for 20 years, suddenly started to make some noise about the fact that there's really pressure to get an international company. And we did what we could, obviously, at the time to do it, but we just couldn't do it fast enough. So what once was find the best in region is now find the best international company. And so I think, as you mentioned, here at Stassi, we're incredibly well positioned to help those companies with one look, one inventory, one order management system, which leads me into the next thing, because it's been a stepchild for many, many, I would say 3PLs and probably many companies, and that is returns. So without a local warehouse,
1: how would an online seller deal with the issue of returns? We're finding that returns are becoming increasingly important. I think one of the driving factors in that is environmental issues. So it's actually trying to reduce the amount of returns because returns clearly have a significant CO2 footprint. And then actually, rather than having returns that just get recycled or they get binned, then they can actually get the product back into stock, back onto inventory, and actually back onto the balance sheet so that they can sell the product. And increasingly, we're also seeing a trend whereby some of our clients, probably with more electrical and consumer-based items, are trying to get products back into stock by actually refurbishing that product. There might not be anything wrong with it. They might be able to provide another warranty for it. But again, they want to try and get it back in stock as quickly as they can. And I think that there are several returns portals that are out there that companies use. So we're integrated with probably two or three international returns portals. And that gives the clients the benefit of being able to get products back into one of our warehouses, literally from anywhere in, in Europe. And again, it's just working with that barry centre mentality again, of finding out where the best destination is to get the product back to. But I just wanted to pick up something else you mentioned as well, in terms of this whole internationalisation, Harry. I think having that one supplier, that one-stop shop for all is important. And it's really hit home with me after talking to a procurement professional that he wanted one invoice with one currency. And clearly that for us was quite a risk. However, he was prepared to pay for that risk reasonably as long as he had one supplier with one currency and one invoice. So we actually work with a client where we have multiple warehouses in multiple locations, but we only send them one invoice in one currency. And internally within Stasi, we actually consolidate all of the invoices together, work internally, and send out that one invoice. If you think about that a few years ago, that would never, ever have been possible, or it would have been very, very difficult. So again, you have to take a partnership approach with that, because clearly there are certain trigger points from currency exchanges and so on, which can impact on pricing. But as long as you have great relationships and partnerships with your clients, you can make that work. Coming back to the returns, I think that there are companies out there who specifically, they have the expertise in return management, and we partner with two or three of them on certainly a European and now an international basis as well. That's good to know, and maybe even a little bit of news for me to leverage
0: here in the States. But why returns has gotten so important, at least here, is we've made the shift. From brick and mortar buying, where you're handling the product right in, and you know you've got a local store. If you bought something and you don't like it, you run back to the store and you bring it. Now with online buying, you're not sure where it's coming from, and what do I do if I'm not happy with it? So in all the surveys that we see where consumer buying online is measured, returns is critical for buying online. So in other words, I I want to be able to sure I'll take the chance in buying it online if. Returning this product is somewhat simple for me, and so even for our customers selling overseas, if there's a returns issue, we merely tell them we've got 60, 70 sites across Europe, even though your inventory is not located there, we can still have a return set up to come back to one of our local Stasi facilities and process it that way. So for us, it's a big selling point for prospects who want to do business with a 3PL and do it internationally and say, hey, it's okay to step into international
1: without putting inventory there. Understanding returns can be handled in that manner. And I think there's a step before that as well, Harry. So why do you get returns? Well, it might be that you get returns because the customer isn't actually happy with the product or it's the wrong size or the wrong color or whatever it may be. But the step before that is sometimes you get returns because the product actually hasn't reached the end customer. And so what we're trying to do is absolutely reduce that down so its very, very minimum. Now, what we're finding is that actually customers are increasingly using pickup points what we call PUDOs, so pick up and drop off points. And the reason they're using them is it's more convenient for them. More people are going back to work post-COVID. They're working hours that they're not sure about, popping out to pick the kids up. So they might choose a location to have their product dropped off where they know it's going to arrive, it's guaranteed to arrive, and then they choose the time that they go and pick that product up. So just by having a service like that, actually means that you're reducing the amount of returns which is coming back. So that's not necessarily a more expensive option. In fact, sometimes that can be a cheaper option for a client because they're doing less direct drop-offs to consumers' houses. So that again is something to consider is how do you reduce returns in the first place? That's certainly something to factor in.
0: Let's say those entrepreneurs, those e-tailers listening to us out there now say, you know what, I'm ready. These guys have convinced me I want to jump into a new market in Europe. I'm ready to go. What should they expect as the ramp up time once they make that decision and they contact Wayne and they say, okay, Wayne, we're ready to go. What do we have to do and what does the timing
1: look like? Depending on the complexity of the client and the integration requirements, we've onboarded clients in less than two weeks. We had a situation last peak period. So last pre-Black Friday, a major cosmetics company in North America was trading. They were really struggling in the UK to get products in. And they said to us, can you help us out? Can we go live pre-Black Friday? This was two weeks before Black Friday. We went live. Now, that wasn't a full integration with our system from an inventory point of view, but could we actually send and receive orders from the UK? Absolutely. We often get asked this question, what's the typical time frame for an integration? And it really does depend in terms of the complexity. Are we we just talking about receiving and sending orders? We're talking about real time integration with a full SAP system. That's a very different scenario. But I would say for a standard e com provider, probably four weeks. And for some of the biggest integrations that we do, you're kind of like looking at a three to four months process. And that's a full end-to-end integration process. But yeah, the reality is if the planning and the preparations done well in advance, then anything's possible. And that's the key thing. Now, I have a saying, which is just we want our clients to sleep well at night. That's even more important when they're on the other side of the Atlantic. <laughs> we don't want to be disturbing them in the middle of the night. So we just make sure that we take the pressure off off the client We go through all of our internal checks and processes. And we, if you like, we drive that process and make it as easy as possible as we can for that client. We we recognize it's a a major decision. It's a big stress event in a client's life. And therefore, we just want to make it as, no pun intended, but as as plain sailing as possible. But there is a real difference in go-lives and timelines. Yes, very, very similar here to your point,
0: depending upon the handshakes, the electronic handshakes could be anywhere from 90 to 120 days if it's a very, very complex integration. However, there are interim steps that you take to your point. You can get some things off the launch pad in two weeks. You're back to vacuum tubes and faxes and PDFs but there's a way to do it. Uh, To your point, flexibility is key for companies like ours, scalable and flexible. So along those lines, how can a 3PL help global brands actually manage market expansion
1: costs, especially as volumes fluctuate? One thing we look at is unit cost. So we're constantly looking at driving down the price, the cost that a client has to actually distribute their product. So clearly you get a volume effect if you're sending out more products and you have the same amount of space in the warehouse, you will get that reduction. So we can then help to bring down their cost. So can we manage peak? Yes, absolutely. Can we manage fluctuation? Yes, absolutely. But it does help to be planned. And I think the one thing that we do in Stasi, and I know you do this as well, Harry, is because we're a multi-user warehouse environment, we tend to have clients that have different peaks within our warehouses. So the overall seasonality is a relatively flat profile. So to use an example, we might have an outdoor gardening company that also with a drinks business, also with a cosmetics business. And if you look at their seasonality profiles, you have one of them peaking in spring, one in summer, and one at Black Friday and Christmas. So we always try and mix our warehouses with multi-users so that you get this blend of seasonality. And that really helps you with these fluctuations in peak, and it helps maintain your service levels. And that's something that we really work strongly on, is how we manage peak levels. But that's two great
0: points. Forecasting, and we've done numerous podcasts on forecasting and the advantages to managing costs with good, accurate forecasting. And I think we're still gonna have more podcasts on that. And then the seasonality thing, To your point, it's not an accident. Here we have a Christmas tree distributor, and obviously we're very, very busy in the fall distributing Christmas trees. We're setting aside space for this company to be able to service them. And then after the season, we've got kind of a hole. We've got availability here for others to take advantage of. And we go out to market, and we specifically look for complimentary customers. So it's not an accident, right, to your point that it happens. It's planned by us so that we can ultimately smooth out all workload, keep our employees busy all year round, be very efficient, Ross train. So two great points. And I think we'll have two more podcasts along those
1: lines. (laughs) Could have a whole
0: podcast on forecasting. Definitely. Wayne, what's the best way to reach you, to get in touch with you for people that are interested in everything we've talked about services here in,
1: in the UK and Europe? check out www.stassiuk.com my email address is always accessible so we're always picking things up so wayne.chapman at Stasiuk.com, very happy to pick up and hopefully help people get products into the uk and europe wayne chapman ceo of stassi
0: uk and that does it for another episode of unboxing fulfillment the modern b2c fulfillment podcast thanks for listening and we'll see you next time